Term limits won the August 28th primaries. Hi, I'm Philip Lumel, President of U.S. Term Limits. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms for the week of September 3rd, 2018. Your sanctuary for partisan politics. Last Tuesday, voters in Arizona and Florida went to the polls, and the results were heady for the term limits movement. In Florida, we saw two term limits heroes win their primaries, and citizens in two municipalities, one triumphing over blatant voter fraud, reaffirmed their support for genuine term limits. In Arizona, six U.S. term limits pledge signers are advancing to the November congressional elections, and oddsmakers see a good chance that as many as five of these will prevail. With me today is Nick Tombalides, Executive Director of U.S. Term Limits. So, Nick, we had a big day last Tuesday. What can you pick out that you think is the most interesting or most important victory uh, from last week? Well, you know, I thought Tuesday's results uh, for term limits were as impressive as they were bipartisan. Um, But unquestionably, at the top of the list was the resounding victory for Congressman Ron DeSantis to become the GOP nominee for governor of Florida. Um, Ron DeSantis has not been uh, just an ordinary term limit supporter. He's arguably been the most proactive legislator in the country on this issue. And as governor, he has pledged to become a pivotal figure in this movement. And he's not talking about getting it done in Washington, D.C. He's talking about becoming a Pied Piper of sorts for term limits and going state by state, working with his fellow governors to get the term limits convention passed in as many state legislatures as possible. So I think the victory for Ron DeSantis, uh, absolutely pivotal. But like I said, this was a a bipartisan uh, election. For term limits. Uh, in Florida, you also saw a big win for Geraldine Thompson in State House District 44. Geraldine is a uh, Democratic leader who'd formerly served in the state Senate. Uh, she is very strong on term limits. She actually cast a deciding vote to help pass the term limits convention in Florida in 2016. Uh, in Arizona, it looks like Ann Kirkpatrick, another uh, Democrat who has signed the U.S. term limits pledge, could be on her way back Uh, into the House of Representatives. So I thought it was a very good day for the term limits movement. Uh, It really fits into this ethos of uh, continual progress, and term limit supporters have a lot to be happy about. Yes, they sure do. I would note about DeSantis that um, Representative DeSantis, maybe soon Governor DeSantis of Florida, um, isn't just showboating here. He is a true believer who really understands this issue. Um, I uh, shared a stage with him at the uh, Constitution Center in Philadelphia last year, where he and I debated some opponents of term limits and some opponents of the Article 5 convention method for um, amending the Constitution. And I was very impressed about his understanding of these issues, how quick he was on his feet uh, to demolish the arguments that were being made by our opposition in that debate. And um, I tell you, he's, he's he's a real credit to our movement. Yeah, absolutely right. His opponent, incidentally, um, Andrew Gillum, the mayor of Tallahassee, has not signed the U.S. Tournament's pledge. Uh, so this is going to be a matchup, unless Andrew changes his mind, um, between a pro and anti-Tournament's candidate for that office. Yeah, and term limits is always an issue in Florida. Um, 
this year, as you mentioned in previous episodes of this podcast, citizens of Florida are going to get to decide on whether there should be eight-year term limits for school board members. Uh, There are still a lot of local offices like sheriffs, property appraisers, clerks, charter officers who have no term limits. And so our expectation is if DeSantis wins, he's going to be very proactive in making sure that there are term limits on every elected office in Florida uh, to protect people from the threat of career politicians. Okay, let's check with uh, Scott real quick for an update on the uh, general progress of the pledge program. This is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits, and I want to give you an update on the number of pledge signers we've seen this cycle. So total number of pledge signers that we've had in the 2018 cycle is 358 pledge signers. Of those, many have, uh, of course, lost their primaries or have dropped out or uh, gone on to pursue other races other than Congress. Remaining in it, um, we still have 122 candidates who are either past their primary or who have not yet been through their primary. Uh, This number is most likely going to go down over the next few weeks as we wrap up the other primaries. And then we'll uh, we'll see it start to slowly uptick again as we pick up some more uh, pledge signers. But this 122, those are the candidates that still remain in the races for the 2018 pledge cycle. We would also love to congratulate um, Florida State Representative Matt Caldwell. Uh, Matt Caldwell has been an instrumental uh, figure in the term limits movement here in Florida He has been right at the front of every fight for term limits at every level of government. Um, He was a leading sponsor on the school board term limits. He also sponsored a bill uh, for term limits on state Supreme Court and appellate court judges down here. And of course, um, he was uh, a key figure in the the move to uh, apply for the term limits convention back in 2016. To recognize Caldwell uh, for his efforts, we actually presented him with the 2018 Champion of Term Limits Award in Florida. The reason I'm mentioning Caldwell is because on Tuesday, he won the Republican primary for Agriculture Commissioner in the state of Florida, which is a very powerful statewide elected office. It's part of the state cabinet, uh, works directly with the governor. Uh, Of course, that position also has an eight-year term limit. And uh, Matt won a four-way, very tightly contested primary with about 35% of the vote. So we would like to congratulate Matt on that very nice victory. Members of Congress and lobbyists are pretty much the only people left in America who say there's no need for term limits. Politicians don't voluntarily step off the gravy train. Lobbyists don't want to lose their lifetime subscription to a good quid pro quo. And political parties don't want to lose their chess pieces on the congressional game board. Abuse of power is rampant in our nation's capital, and careerism is to blame. Sure, individual members sometimes step down after they're indicted or become dearly departed. Congress certainly wasn't meant to be a retirement home, and sometimes an indictment isn't even enough to get rid of them. Sadly, it seems the only way to get an incumbent out of Congress is to lead them out in handcuffs or carry them out on a stretcher. The real cancer of Washington is the unchecked arrogance that develops when people are handed too much power for too long. More than a dozen members of Congress have been indicted since 1980. 
Of course, most of these offenses are about accepting bribes in exchange for favors or using pseudo-charities as personal slush funds for lavish lifestyles. You see the words racketeering, fraud, money laundering, extortion, and tax evasion pop up a lot while reading their laundry list of charges. And just to let you know, the following list is only a smattering of those found guilty of charges. It doesn't even include those who left office in disgrace with plea deals or on ethics violations but served no time. Nick already brought up two from last month who are awaiting trial, Rep. Chris Collins for insider trading and Duncan Hunter for misuse of campaign funds. Last episode, he did an entire segment on Queen Kareen Brown, who fleeced her charity and reported for prison on 18 fraud convictions after she served 12 terms in Congress. She officially began her first term in prison earlier this year. Here are several other Congress members with noteworthy indictments. Representative Chakafata from Pennsylvania. He's in prison on 29 counts of bribery and racketeering and misappropriating hundreds of thousands of dollars, some of which paid his son's student loans. Representative Michael Grimm from New York, convicted of felony tax fraud. Then there's Representative Rick Renzi from Arizona. He was arrested on 35 counts including conspiracy, wire fraud, and money laundering and accused of influencing a land deal in exchange for hundreds of thousands of dollars. He was sentenced to three years in prison. Representative William Jefferson from Louisiana was arrested on 16 counts accused of accepting about $500,000 in bribes. He was sentenced to 13 years in prison. The FBI found $90,000 in his freezer. That's some cold cash. <laughs> then there's Representative James Traficant from Ohio. He was arrested on multiple counts, including bribery, tax evasion, accepting illegal gifts, and racketeering for soliciting bribes in return for official favors. He was sentenced to eight years in prison. How about Representative Mel Reynolds from Illinois? He was charged with 12 counts of sexual assault, obstruction of justice, and solicitation of child pornography after he had relations with a 16-year-old campaign worker. Despite the charges, he had no opposition and waltzed back into office but was forced to resign. He was also convicted on 16 counts of bank fraud, misusing campaign funds, and lying to FEC investigators. The dude was one bad hombre. A famous case was uh, Representative Dan Rustenkowski from Illinois. He was arrested on 17 counts. He was accused of corrupt activity, including 14 ghost employees who performed little or no official work, but instead did things like house and yard work for him. He served 15 months in federal prison. Then there's Representative Mario Biaggi from New York. He was arrested on 21 counts accused of accepting bribes and extorting money from WedTech, a New York company. He was sentenced to two and a half years. And in 1980, seven Congress members from New York to Florida were convicted of counts associated with bribery and conspiracy in connection with an FBI sting operation known as Abscam, where the agents pretended to be Arabs seeking political favors. As you can see, members of Congress don't always consult a good moral compass. Though they may enter office with good intentions, after too many terms, they start to become corrupted by the system. Hubris takes over, and they start to think they're above the laws they help create. Their vision is clouded by dollar signs from taxpayers, charities, and campaign funds, and corruption creeps in. Drunk on power, they turn their backs on the people they were elected to represent in order to line their own pockets. Term limits will help nip this off in the bud before it's too late. 
Do me a favor. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and write us a good review. It lets us know you appreciate our efforts and motivates us to keep bringing you more political content. Another big uh, item that came out of the election last week was what happened in Palm Beach Gardens. In Maybe it wasn't the most important from the overall view of the term limits movement, but I tell you what, it was one of the most satisfying victories of last Tuesday's elections. It really was, and um, it, it, it was just a. It goes to show you um, that the politicians will really. There is no depth to which politicians will not stoop to try to undermine the voters' will on term limits. I mean, wh- when I first looked at this Palm Beach Gardens thing, I thought. You know, these these term limits must have been passed 20 years ago, right? If politicians are this mad about it, you know, they must have at least given it time to see if it would work. No, these these term limits were implemented by the voters just four years ago. And the Palm Beach Garden City Council has already sneakily tried to undermine them uh, three different on three different occasions. Uh, this being the latest and perhaps the most underhanded. But I, I just thought Palm Beach Gardens was a tremendous victory for the people. It showed that voters are much smarter than politicians give them credit for because they saw through the scheme and they defeated the lengthening of term limits. They maintained the voter-approved two-term limit with about 65% of the vote. Right. And this was even though the Palm Beach Garden City Council had, one, tried to use deceptive ballot language that actually claimed that the measure was going to establish term limits rather than weaken them. But of course, the judge threw that off the the ballot. So they came back with more accurate ballot language. But then their marketing campaign was basically to vote yes for this weakening measure in order to, quote, keep term limits. All their signage, their robocalls, their t-shirts, their Facebook ads, everything they did said, keep term limits, vote yes, when what the measure would have actually done, if it passed, would be to weaken the term limits from six to nine years. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I like to call this uh, Scam 2.0. It's the next generation <laughs> of uh, political trickery in Palm Beach Gardens. The first time they went with deceptive ballot language, and then a judge told them they couldn't do that. So they decided to upgrade the system and went with deceptive signage, all taxpayer-funded, by the way. Every single sign, um, misleading sign in Palm Beach Gardens that was put up was funded either directly or indirectly by the taxpayers. Um, so politicians were using the citizens' money to try to overturn the citizens' will, which is just the most undemocratic nightmare uh, one can possibly think of. But thankfully, the voters saw right through it, and they kept their term limits intact. U.S. term limits, are, this organization actually played a significant role in um, you know, running a digital, very strong digital social media campaign uh, to make sure voters were educated. A lot of people tend to ask, you know, why is there a U.S. term limits? Why is there uh, a group devoted to this one issue? It's because when citizens go up against powerful politicians, the deck is stacked against the average Joe. Um, And people need resources to enact and to defend their term limits. That's what we do here. We come to the aid of citizens who are up against these uh, political machines who have their thumb on the scale and we help them uh, protect citizen government. And so in Palm Beach Gardens, we did get involved. We've helped with sign waving, the honest signs. We had honest signs. They didn't. Um, We helped with digital advertising. We sent out emails. 
Um, we contacted the local newspapers. This, I mean, if you have a term limits initiative going on in your locality, please don't hesitate to reach out to U.S. term limits because we would always love to help you. Um, and also in Florida, in Lee County, over in Bonita Springs, uh, there was a measure on the ballot that would that would um, uh, tighten up their term limits, meaning that in the positive sense. Uh, right now they had term limits that were consecutive, meaning that you could spend eight years in office, sit out two years, which would be one term, and then come back in and serve another eight years. And um, they tightened it up to make it a lifetime limit, that once you're in for eight years, that was it. Although you could also run for the mayor and have another eight years in office, <laughs> which they can Yeah, I know. They didn't fix that. That's a little that's okay. scam they like to play uh, quite is. often. Well, it the is. mayor is not really part of the city council, so technically he gets a different term limit. Yeah, okay. Right. They didn't fix that. Total but BS. They did, they did make it so that the 16-year mayor can't sit out two years and run again. Well, that's good. That's good. In any case, they tightened up the tournament, and um, it was the council itself that put this on the ballot. Um. And uh, credit for that goes to Mayor Peter Simmons, who supported, supported the change. Back in 1992, Arkansas voters passed term limits on its legislature with 60% of the vote, and legislators have been bucking the popular law ever since. In 2004, the legislature put a question on the ballot to weaken the term limits law, but the voters soundly shot it down with 70% of the vote. In 2014, they tried again, but knowing they could not win honestly, legislators took the low road. They hid an anti-term limits provision in a so-called ethics package with a fraudulent ballot title, and it snuck past voters. Term limits activists did not have time to sound the alarm. To remedy the situation, term limits activists collected 135,590 signatures this year to put an honest question on the statewide ballot in November. On the line is Tim Jacob, an Arkansas businessman and a volunteer spokesman for the effort. Hello, Tim. Yes, sir. Okay, we're on. Anyway, let's just jump in. So first, I want to uh, welcome you to the No uh, No Uncertain Terms podcast. Well, thank you very much. I want to first congratulate you for getting this on the ballot. I've done a lot of uh, petitioning in my day. I know what a tough job it is uh, to get to get something on a statewide ballot. You must have a really good team of activists. Well, and it, it certainly wasn't me. I uh, was not able to give as much time as I wanted to do, but we do have a great volunteer base here, and uh, the credit goes to about 100 and 200 other people, not myself. Oh, yeah. But you did play a role originally in helping establish tournaments in Arkansas back in 92. Yes, I was the petition, statewide petition director in 92, and I know what an uphill battle it is. Now, the legislature's yep. me even made it harder now, so... I really, my hat goes off to the people that work so hard around our state and, and everybody involved. Me too. So what was so important that you would come out of retirement, so to speak, um, to assist with this effort? Well, we just had the most deceptive uh, term limit extension in legislative history, I think, uh, what they did is they created the longest amendment in Arkansas history and called it the Ethics Amendment. And then on page 16 of that amendment, they extended their own terms from six terms in the House, uh, excuse me, from six years in the House to 16 years, wow. and from eight years in the Senate to 16 years. And in the Senate, they don't even count their two-year terms, which they get every now and then. So now you could actually spend 22 years in the Arkansas State Senate. Now, they did this without putting it on the ballot title, 
and to explain their amendment, they had zero press conferences, zero press releases, and zero advertisements, and it was a campaign of silence, and they let their deceptive ballot title do their work for them. And, you know, confronted with right. behavior like that, I just couldn't sit idly by and let that stand. I understand that. You know, uh, we were talking earlier in the program about the success rate of term limits measures around the country, um, and it's very, very high. Very rarely do voters vote against term limits. So it was shocking when this occurred in Arkansas. But like you said, the title was deceptive, and it was buried deep in a larger package. The, the, there was something also about the specific language they used in describing the change, too, that was deceptive, wasn't there? Oh, there was. It said they were establishing term limits, and right. then the actual amendment was not available to the voter at the polls. So we had to go by just what they said in their ballot title, and their ballot title forgot to mention that they were extending term limits and raising their pay by 149%. That is really incredible. And you know, it, this, this success that the politicians had in Arkansas using that language, pretending to create term limits instead of admitting that they're actually weakening them, um, has been used since in other places. Um, so it, it right. definitely Well, was, we're just uh, not going to. Yeah, we're not going to stand for it here. Uh, they have no credibility. They've lost. They've lost any moniker of honor that they've had, and uh, you know it doesn't matter. I've got friends that don't necessarily believe in term limits. I've got friends that even believe in longer term limits, but no one I've talked to, and that's anybody around the state, can stomach what the legislature did to the voters in this state. They disrespected them. They uh, and we we got to teach them to respect the vote and respect the voters. Right. I believe that the Arkansas term limits were one of the uh, tighter term limits in the country, and now with the change they made in 2014 is now the weakest term limits in the country. That is so, correct, Philip. That is incredible. So what are the prospects uh, for that uh, 2014 travesty to be reversed in November? I'm sure the politicians well, we and lobbyists are going to take this laying down. No, they're not. They're already calling us liars and uh, calling and you liars. <laughs> yes, it's. I think psychologists call that projection. But, <laughs> yes, uh, I should say so. But we're just going to stand firm, and uh, we think the voters deserve an honest choice at the ballot box. They've. We have won. The strict term limits that we had for 25 years were working well, and they were put in place by a the largest yes vote in Arkansas history in 92. In 2004, when the legislature tried to double their terms, the voters of Arkansas resoundingly said no by 70% of the vote. In each of our 75 counties, the legislator, legislators lost. So 75 out of 75 wow. counties in our state said no, and at 70%, they said hell no to the right. legislature. So this is what prompted the legislature to do an end run, put it in the back door of an ethics amendment. That's kind of right. ironic right there. And uh, and try to hammer it through without any conversation whatsoever. They were completely silent, and they have been completely silent in our state until this got on the ballot, and now they're screaming like wounded water buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first resort usually is the courts because they do not want term limits in front of the people because they know how that how that goes. They learned that in 2004. Um, so, right. are, are are they going to try to knock your amendment off the ballot in November? 
every time we are surprised at how low they can go, they go lower. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't doubt that they will try that. We've heard uh, rumblings that they're going to sue us because they. So the last thing they want is that the voters have a chance to vote on real term limits. So what work still needs to be done? If somebody in Arkansas is mad as you are. They recognize that they've been deceived. They support the idea of term limits and, and a, uh, a citizen legislature. They want to get involved and help. What, what would you direct them to do? Well, I'd direct them to go to our website, first of all. It's ArkansasTermLimits.org, and that way they can sign up as a volunteer, and one of, our, uh, one of the hundreds of people that are working on this around the state will give them a call. And what we need now is we need the people at the ballot box, uh, at the polls, uh, campaigning for us. We certainly need to raise funds because we are fighting now the most powerful people in our state. Every lobbyist is against us, and every legislator is against us. Fortunately, right. we have the support of people, but, but when you have that much money against us, we are going to have to advertise and at least match their money. And if we match their money, we will win. I believe that's true. And we know they're willing to spend money. Um, I saw – I remember looking through the expenditures on the 2004 – sort of the straight-up weakening of uh, term limits effort, and uh, there was a long list of, of special interests, um, writing checks, Every notably no individuals, right. um, all right. lobbyists and, and special interests that, uh, that uh, spent the money to keep the politicians, to keep their relationships intact. So they'll spend the money. That's exactly um, right. Now, do you have evidence that's exactly that that's right. occurring now? Uh, it's the Chamber of Commerce, which is one of the bigger lobbyists in our state that has started the group, but I know every lobbyist group in our state will be joining and, and closing ranks to beat term limits and beat the voters. The last thing they want is for this to go to the voters because that's, the voters keep keeping them straight, and, and they want to run this thing themselves. Right. What does your battle, uh, ballot title look like? Are you happy with it? Oh, I am happy with it. It's the Arkansas Term Limits Amendment of 2018, and it's straight up, and it's an honest ballot title. So the voters of Arkansas get a chance to uh, really see what's on the ballot, unlike what they did four years ago, where they hit it on page 16 and, and right. never allowed the voters at the polls to see the amendment. That's the only way they can win. Yeah. That's, yep. All right. Well, thank you, and I tell you what, I, I wish you the best, and I think you'll be successful. you got a, a straight-up ballot title. Um, you, the people are engaged, and pol I know the politicians are going to put up a big fight, but I know you'll be be there to meet it. So People deserve uh, a chance to vote on this, and I appreciate all your help, sir. Thank you, Tim. Have a great day. Thanks, Philip. B button, B button, go left, jump. Hunter, have to vote on whether to put troops in Syria. In a minute, in a minute, I'm almost to the next level here. Congressman, we need you on the floor. All right, I'll pause it. Congressman Duncan Hunter loves video games. I'm not talking about Congressman Duncan Lee Hunter, who served from 1981 to 2009. I'm talking about his son, Duncan Hunter Jr., who inherited Daddy's house seat in 2009. Duncan Jr. loves video games so much that he spent $1,528 on them in 2015 alone. You're probably thinking, on a congressman's salary, what's $1,500? And you'd be right. 
Members of Congress earn $174,000 a year, which puts them in the top 3% of income earners in America. But even with all that dough, Duncan Jr. never spent his own salary on video games. He put them all on his campaign credit card. And video games were just the tip of the iceberg. In total, Hunter and his wife dropped over 250 G's in campaign money on their posh lifestyle. Now Hunter has been indicted by a grand jury for stealing these funds. The 47-page indictment paints a picture of a congressman who was drunk on power and defying every ethics law in the books. According to the jury, Hunter facilitated the theft of campaign funds and ignored his campaign staff's multiple warnings. The hunters concealed and disguised the personal nature of their campaign expenditures by either falsely saying the expenses were campaign related or by falsely reporting the item or service purchased while providing the information to the treasurer. The hunters illegally used campaign funds to purchase, among other things, the following. Hotel rooms, airline tickets and upgrades, meals and food, $14,000 for a family vacation to Italy, $6,500 for a family vacation to Hawaii, thousands more on vacations to Las Vegas, Lake Tahoe, London, and other exotic locations. In 2010, Margaret Hunter, the congressman's wife, took the campaign credit card to Target, where she bought two punky Brewster items, a ring pop, and four window panels. In order to conceal this illegal charge, she falsely told the campaign treasurer it was for parent-teacher events. Remember Punky Brewster, that TV show from the 1980s? The Hunters told the federal government that souvenirs from that show were a campaign expense. Over the course of this whole ordeal, the Hunters overdrew their personal bank account 1,100 times, incurring $38,000 in overdraft fees. The spending got even crazier. In 2014, the Hunters spent $600 in campaign funds at United Airlines to fly their pet rabbit across the country. The next year, they took the family on a trip to SeaWorld's Aquatica Family Water Park to entertain. To conceal this illegal payment, they suggested to the campaign treasurer that these charges be classified as an educational tour. Margaret Hunter spent $152 to make an online purchase of cosmetics. She falsely told the treasurer that the charge was for gift basket items at the Boys and Girls Clubs of San Diego. And remember that trip to Italy? Congressman Duncan Hunter knew that trip would probably raise some red flags with the campaign finance people. So what did he try to do? He tried to set up a day tour of a U.S. naval facility in Italy while he was there. The problem is he was too stupid to request the tour far in advance. So when he contacted the Navy and asked for a tour on a particular date, the Navy told him, well, they really couldn't arrange that. It was far too late. And then Hunter told his chief of staff to tell the Navy to go fuck themselves. What a classy guy. After getting indicted last week, Hunter went on Fox News. He was asked to take responsibility for his actions. He refused to do so. Instead, he threw his own wife under the bus, blaming her for everything. There's an entitlement culture in Washington, my friends. Our elected officials go in thinking it's a swamp, saying it's a swamp, but when they get there, they realize it's really more like a hot tub. And they never want to leave the cozy confines of that congressional office. Here's an idea. Let's make them leave. Let's pass term limits. 
because Duncan Hunter might seem uniquely sleazy, but we all know better. We know this type of theft and arrogance is rampant in our nation's capital, and it's not going away anytime soon. If we don't correct it, this corruption is gonna spell game over for our republic. Over in Arizona, it looks like we're going to get a few more co-sponsors to the U.S. Tournament's Amendment in the U.S. Congress coming from Arizona, probably from Florida too, but we're really excited about the half dozen we have that are going to be um, um, on the ballot in November. A couple of them are certain. I mean, you look at the Arizona District Number 5, where Andy Biggs and Joan Green, um, Democrat and Republican, are on the ballot. They both signed the pledge. So no matter who wins that election, we're going to have a co-sponsor to the bill in the, in, the, in the Congress. Yeah, and in Arizona, it wasn't just uh, congressional pledges that um, had a good day on Tuesday. We actually racked up quite a few um, pledges from state legislators in Arizona, both Republican and Democrat, who, when elected, will co-sponsor and vote for uh, the term limits convention. You know, if convention. you rec- Right. That's right. If you recall what happened in Arizona um, this session, we actually did pass the state House of Representatives, but we came up just short in the Senate. So what we need to do is um, preserve all of the ground that we had gained this year in the House and um, work with a few additional senators to ensure that we get a floor vote and we get passed out of the Senate this year Um, because you need to pass both chambers uh, for a state to call officially for the term limits convention. So we're about halfway there in Arizona, um, but it's very encouraging that so many folks have signed the pledge because that will let us sure up our numbers and be in a stronger position next year. That too is encouraging. I'm I'm looking at here in my notes and I'm seeing that uh, we had 40 members of the legislature sign this state pledge, and uh, 17 have now made it through the primaries. So that will be very helpful going into the new session. Yeah, absolutely. And we also have a lot of uh, state senators who have four-year terms and were not on the ballot this year, um, but they've also signed the pledge and they're not counted in that number. So we actually have more uh, pledge signers in the legislature uh, than what you just cited. Why is it that we have both a congressional and a state pledge? I mean, isn't this like belt and suspenders? Well, um, because this this movement to slap a term limits amendment on the Congress is a um, two-track approach. And there's a synergy between these two different um, tracks. I like to say it, it's like we've got two legs on one body. You need both to walk forward. Um, In Congress, we're asking folks to directly propose an amendment for term limits. But the reason why we don't hold our breath on that is because of the self-interest factor among members of Congress. It's just not likely that they're ever going to propose uh, putting a stop to their own gravy train absent some huge amount of pressure uh, coming from outside. And we believe that pressure has to come from, from the states. That why we, that's why we are, uh, at the very same time, working with state legislators um, to pledge their support for holding a convention, which would then bypass Congress and propose a term limits amendment. So there are these two different methods within Article 5 of our Constitution for how you can propose a term limits amendment, and we're pursuing both 
um, to have the strongest chance of success. And I think it will be successful, and I think Tuesday is another step towards that goal. For sure. Well, that's it for this week's No Uncertain Terms podcast. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to share with us, feel free. Our email address is questions at termlimits.com. By next week, we hope to have some clarity on whether Amendment 8, the school board termlets, will be on the ballot in November in Florida. And also, we'll talk to Scott Murphy, who's working on a new second edition uh, to his book, The Termlets Revolution. Until then, keep up the good work, everyone. This podcast is made possible by the support of you, the American people, and your voluntary financial contributions, which can be made through our website at termlimits.com. Thank you.